This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Good morning. Well, I got to tell you, it's great to be back at the Ark. <clears throat> some, of, uh, some of you, we haven't met. I'm Dave Reaver. I'm from Fort Worth, Texas. I'm 72 years, but I'm going on 50. 50's the new 30. Common Core Math says I can be 21, so I'm 21. I never developed past 19 emotionally and mentally. I'm going to stay right there. I like that best. But I do have an average audience age of 19 because I speak in public schools. I was just in schools Friday and several thousand students uh, in a little town called Quero, Texas, where I grew up. I got to go back for the first time and be with my, I got to see some of my old friends that I didn't even know were still alive. I'm the only one that still looks young. <laughs> and there are no scandals, even though I ran off with my secretary. She's my wife. Uh, I got to tell you, my wife and I have been thrilled to be part of this church in fashion that is not like I tend every time that, that you know, like you do on Sunday. But every time I've been here, you got a little bit more of my heart. And you wouldn't know it, but I'm your best PR agent. I talk about you guys everywhere. I've loved this church from my first visit, and I think you have the coolest pastor and wife in the world. They are out of the box amazing. Wonderful, wonderful couple. I love them both. Pastor Clanton's a risk taker, though, to have me come, because you never, I don't even know what I'm going to say next most of the time. But it's, again, it's a great pleasure to be here. Pardon me if I sit today. Um, I, Actually, it was in our, I work for the Department of Defense. I'm a defense contractor, and I'm what's called a master resiliency trainer for the U.S. military of all branches in the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness Program. If you're on military active duty, you know what I'm talking about. But they sent me all over the world, and I was in Iraq, and I jumped out of the helicopter, and I hit wrong. My feet went out from under me, and I crashed down so heavy with all the battle rattle, they call it, this, this heavy gear and I broke six vertebrae instantly, and I lost the use of my leg and went paralyzed. For several years, I wore braces, but I got faith, Bubba. I took that brace off, and I walked, and I fell over. <laughs> so I got up and put the brace back on. A couple months later, I said, now I know God's really talking to me. I took the brace off, took a step, fell on my face. This isn't working, but sometimes the third dip in Naaman's servant, the, the seventh dip, third time, I took that first step. Now, I still don't do good with stairs, and I can't stand very long, but they fixed me. They put in 12 screws and two rods, and on top of all that, I had this brace ran from the bottom of my foot up to my leg. My knee is artificial to my back, which has all these screws and rods, up to my ear, which has an artificial a bar that holds my artificial ear on, and a chest that's held together by a piece of steel wire. And when I die, they're gonna open Ace Hardware. Come get your parts. You paid for them. Thank you. But might as well laugh about it. July the 26th, 1969, the devil lowered the boom. He did his best to kill me. And I'm still here because no weapon formed against me can prosper. Right? No weapon. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So I'm telling you, I, don't, I never will look good. I, I look better than I've looked. For those of us that have been friends for a long time, you notice I have a nose again. Yep, they made my nose two years ago at Brook Army Medical Center. I'm so proud of it. It's a boy. <laughs> <laughs> they made my eyelids. I got eyelids again, and I got my lips back. And uh, all this in a series of 59 surgeries so far and counting. But here's the best news. 
Humpty Dumpty may have had a big fall. All the king's horse, all the king's men trying to put Humpty back together again. They'll never finish. But on the inside, Humpty's back, Bubba. Humpty's good. No scars, no damage. The spiritual man came through it fine. Give Jesus a clap offering. It's not about me. It's about him. Amen. So uh, I'm very happy to spend this time together. And uh, in conversation with Pastor the other day, we talked about what we would be best suited to present to you today. Even though I've been here, a lot of us are together for the first time. And you're looking me over. and I'm looking you over. And you wonder what happened to me, and I was wondering, I was wondering how y'all doing. <laughs> but I'm going to share my story with you. It's not, the, it's not my whole life, but it's so much of it. I've never grown accustomed to be able to tell this story without my heart being broken again. And I know what's going to happen before I even get there. I'll hit a point, and it's 99% of the times it's the same point that I can't talk about it without... The grace of God's overwhelming me in, in the knowledge and the memory of what he's done for me that I will, I'll break out and it's like I'm allergic. I'm allergic to emotions. I break out in tears. So I'm going to do my best to share this with you today. But I want you to know if it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for my sweet wife, Brenda, I wouldn't have been here. I met her when I was 16. I asked her to marry me. She slapped me. She said, I'm only 13 years old. <laughs> I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. She slapped me again. <laughs> Boy, that was a rough start. If you love me, you'll wait for me. I said, I'll pick you up at 10. I knew what she meant. <laughs> I was at the high school there Friday, and I told the kids some of these opening remarks. I said, and uh, when we got married, we were both virgin. It was like a bombshell went off. The boys were cursing. The girls were saying, thank you, Jesus, for Dave Reaver. It was so funny. And I said, you know, we were both virgin. And 52 years later, we're still, I was going to say married. They thought I was going to say virgin. And boy, I lost the crowd right there. <laughs> but we've been together 52 years and it shouldn't have happened. There's no way a marriage can endure what we went through without God being at the helm of our ship. And I want every one of you couples, married couples to know, watch your mouth. Be careful what you say. Those words go out of your mouth. You can't retrieve them. My mom, before she died, she was very invalid, and I'll give you a little more information on that in a second, but she had this little rhyme, be careful the words you say are sweet, because tomorrow you never know which ones you'll eat. It would be careful, it would be good for us to be careful about how we respond to each other, because you don't know you have tomorrow. There's not a day of my life go by, unless I'm in some remote place and there's no communications, but the last thing I will say to my wife before she goes to bed every night is, Baby, I love you. Because it may be the last night I ever get to do that. When you've had the sheet pulled over you twice in 59 operations and over and over the times I've been shot at in war and, and not just Vietnam, but we, I've been through four or five fights in Iraq and Afghanistan. And how in the world does this happen? I'm a preacher's kid. I grew up without a black eye, folks. I never had a fight. My mom and dad never even argued. Of course, it's kind of bad if the man arguing hits a woman in a wheelchair. My dad never struck my mom, never. They didn't even fuss in front of me. And how in the world I end up in a war in Vietnam with a special operations command of the United States Navy. I was trained by a Navy SEAL commander, trained by SEAL Team 1 in my SEAL training, went to Vietnam with SEAL Team 1, but I was not a SEAL. I was a Brownwater Black Beret, the smallest special operations group in the military at that time with the highest killed in action. 
I'm going to tell you, it was one more dangerous but amazingly exciting job. I drove the fastest boats in the world, and I had Navy SEALs on board. I'd get them in and out of conflict and firefights, and it was really cool. They'd say, you can't throw me off the boat, and I bet one of them 20 bucks. I threw him off the boat. He stalked me all the rest of my life. I loved my job. I'm just telling you, it was crazy wonderful. It was terribly dangerous, and it didn't start out to be what I thought life would be. I'm falling in love with my junior high school sweetheart. I mean, come on. I'm studying for the ministry. You learn to say that in Bible college. Ministry. I'm doing good. Married, got a job. And the more I worked, the less I studied, my grades started going down. They would drop to below sea level. I said that to my commanding officer when I went into boot camp. He said, your leadership material. I said, sir, my grades were below sea level. He didn't get it. He was short and I was over his head. I knew that. You know. But God had a plan for my life. And I want to start out by telling you, Jesus didn't shoot me. God didn't hurt me. He didn't set me on fire on the bank of that river that day. What the communists did to me that day, we were all trying to kill each other. You can't blame God for that. And I'm sick of it. I've heard it so many. If there's a God, why was there a Vietnam? I say, if there was a Hitler, why was there selling eggs in China for a dozen at a time? They say, what? I said, what? <laughs> blame God for something we do? God didn't start the war in Vietnam. But I was on television one night with Jan Crouch. How many remember Jan Crouch on TV? She was the one with the big hair and a lot of makeup. I, saw, I told her, I said, we're going to take that makeup off. We're going to find Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> she thought that was hilarious. I loved that woman. She loved Dave Reaver. She took care of me. She saw to everything that I was trying to do that we were funded. If TBN could help, they helped. I loved her. And one night on TBN, she looked at me and she said, you know why God let you be scarred, maimed, and burned, don't you? That was the question I didn't know the answer to. And like a good lawyer, don't ask a question in court you don't already know the answer. I didn't want to deal with that. I just going to trust God. I didn't want to deal with why. I just trust God. It's going to be all right. You know why, God, let you be. I think, no, but this blue-haired wonder is going to explain it to me. She looked at me and lowered her glasses. And gentlemen, you know when a woman does that? Head for the corner. That's where you're about to be sent. She looked at me. She said, Davey. Jesus didn't do that to you. He didn't shoot you. He didn't set you on fire that day. He wasn't trying to kill you. But he didn't stop it from happening. And I'm thinking, yeah, why? She said, because he knew he could trust you with the scars. I had been struggling with suicide intentions for 20 years. 20 years to that year itself. 20 years before that, I tried to take my life in a hospital in Japan when they flew me out of Vietnam. I thought if I could kill myself, my wife will never have to look at me. It's over. It's done. Everything's okay. Just kill yourself and get it over. Everything not covered was bone. It was blown off, burned off. 60 pounds of my flesh went up in smoke in seconds. There's no way a teenage girl's going to love the monster she married. She got a bill of goods, and I decided I'd kill myself and not deal with it, not have her deal with it. I didn't want him opening a casket. I didn't have a gun. How do you kill yourself in a hospital? Tubes everywhere. Unplug the tubes. And I did. I pulled the tube and laid my head back. I even folded my hand so I'd be a good corpse. <laughs> and I got hungry. <laughs> I pulled the wrong tube. I did. I pulled out lunch. You can die that way, but it's going to take a while. 
And if you smell a pizza cooking, you're singing, plug it in, plug it in. I'm telling you, suicide's not the solution. Jesus is the answer. Give it up for Jesus. He is the reason. It's not me, it's him. Oh my goodness. I hope I can keep that before you today. I tell my story, my injury, but it's about Christ. Because people, I got hurt on the outside. Some of you have been hurt much worse on the inside. You see those scars that make you do what you do when someone mentions you know who, and you fly off the handle and say, what's her problem? Because there's scar tissue inside, and scar tissue doesn't have elasticity. I can move my arm, and it moves my chin. Because all this scar tissue has no elasticity. It doesn't give and take. And when you've been hurt, you don't know how to respond. You just get all stiffened up, and you're ready. First time's your fault. Second time's mine. Don't you try it. I'll kill you. Let me tell you something. You need healing. Those little scar tissues don't stretch. They don't give. But there's something good about them. They're tough. You can take a hit again the second time. It doesn't hurt near as bad as the first time. But you got to learn how to forgive. You got to learn how to let that past go. Am I making any sense to you? I hope you're listening because I don't script this. I'm going where God takes me in this conversation with you. Really a monologue. Here's the rest of the story, Paul Harvey. That little girl I married, we decided we were not going to have children because I was with a group that had every chance in the world for me not to come home alive. And I kissed that little teenage girl goodbye at the airport. I walked away proud of myself because I didn't shed a tear. Men's man, hoorah, five steps. <laughs> and about the fifth step, she called my name, Davy. And when she calls me Davy, I just melt. I turned around before I could even get complete turned around, tears came to my eyes. All my struggle to not cry was lost. Now, mad at myself, I looked at her and said, what? She asked me the question that would haunt me the rest of my life. Davy, are you coming back? I knew the statistics and I knew when I said it, I just made a promise I couldn't keep. I said, I'll be back without a scar. Why did I say scar? I could have just said, I'll be back. Then I could be governor of California. <laughs> Make movies, call me Schwarzenegger. No, I got that scar. God was telling me, Davy, you're going to come back, but you're not going to be the same man you are today. I walked away, and the worst tragic reality came to pass eight months later in Vietnam. As I said, on the bank of that river called the Vamco Town, the border with Cambodia, deep in the jungle, I picked up a white phosphorus grenade, phosphorus grenade and drew back to throw. All you military guys, you know what white phosphorus, they call it Willie P. I drew it back to throw and a bullet was fired from an AK-47 across the river. The bullet was shooting, he was shooting from my head, but he missed and hit my hand. And if phosphorus, doesn't, you don't strike a match, light a fuse, if air touches phosphorus, it explodes. And that, that thing cracked and it exploded and covered me with 5,000 degrees, white hot phosphorus. From my waist up, 60 pounds gone. Went blind in my eye, deaf in my ear. This stuff's artificial. My ear fell off preaching in Jamaica. I stuck it back on. They all got saved. They thought it was a miracle. <laughs> That's funny. True story. I couldn't tell them it was a phony ear. They would have thought I was a phony preacher and they would have stoned me. But Pastor Clayton, he did not want me saying I went to Jamaica and got stoned. Everybody go down there and get stoned. <laughs> it's hilarious. But it's true. My hair blew my hair off. I got my hair back. I bought it. There's a bald guy in China. I got his hair. 
I don't mind it. I just hate chasing it across parking lots on windy days. <laughs> yes, it has happened. At the Citadel, speaking for the military academy there, I'm walking out after my presentation. The general and I are going to dinner, and the hair went with the wind, gone with the wind. It took off across that parking lot like a frisbee. I go after it, and a dog shot right by me and got it first. That little mutt brought it over to me. How do you know it's mine? <laughs> One of the great mysteries of life I'll never get the answer to till I get to heaven. And he brought the hair back to me. I look back, my general friend was on both knees in the parking lot crying his eyes. He's laughing so hard. <laughs> Might as well laugh about it. The devil took his best shot, and I'm still here. I'm here because I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. And so I learned to laugh when sometimes crying would have been easier, but laughter always seemed to heal. And you'll notice I'm not good at telling jokes, but I can tell you the funny side of life because it's the humor that my precious mom before she died taught me when I was yet a little boy. In fact, when I was born, it was so bad she couldn't raise me. We had a Mexican nanny, Maria Rubio. She was the sweetest person in the world. She taught me to speak. She taught me Spanish. I didn't know English till I was six years old. And then they told me I was not a Mexican. <laughs> it broke my Hispanic heart. <laughs> now I don't speak Spanish as well as I did because I had to learn Vietnamese and they get all mixed up. And they say, you speaking Vietnamese or Spanish or you Pentecostal? <laughs> I speak with many tongues, but it's embarrassing when God says, what? <laughs> That's embarrassing. <laughs> I just thought of that. That's funny. I don't care who you are. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I'm going to keep that one. <laughs> well, that grenade blew and I jumped in the water, but back me up, Vince. Phosphorus burns in water. It would not extinguish it. I'm boiling the water like the heating element in a teapot. I swam to the right bank of the river. My skin was everywhere. I was beside myself. <laughs> you like that? If you're in junior high, you like it when I'm gross. Yeah, I need to pull myself together. <laughs> they flew a helicopter in to pick me up. It's called dust off. Still to this day, those medical helicopters come in unarmed. They fly into hell on earth, pick up the dead and wounded and fly out the bravest pilots in the world. God bless them. We got some of the greatest people in the universe serving in our United States military armed forces. <laughs> they are awesome men and women. God bless our troops everywhere. They came in under fire, I guess. I don't know, because I was, I was still under fire. I was actually still on fire, bleeding and burning. Should have drowned. I had my choices of how to die. I was pumping blood out of an open artery where the bullet went through my hand. And I should have bled out right there. But that phosphorus cauterized that, that vein or artery and sealed it off. The thing that was killing me now is saving my life. That's the bizarre, confused world that I was in. And I'm thinking... I'm dying for these people. I hardly know them. I'm dying for them. That was the most sobering thought that went through my mind. And then I yelled out, God, I still believe in you. It's verbatim. When I said that, one of the guys that I had witnessed to for eight months dropped to his knees and gave his heart to Jesus right there. If I died, there would be another man yet left to carry on because this thing of knowing Jesus is real 
It's real. It's not concocted so we can build a place and have people come and listen to us speak and sing. I'm telling you, it's a place where we come together in the presence of an almighty God that it is spoken word. The universe was created. It's real. If you don't know him, get to know him. You're missing the best part of life without him. It takes God to be a man. It takes God to be a woman. It takes God to be what we were intentionally and originally created to be. And he, the redeemer who restores us back to our original value, he's the one you got to know. He's the one I'm trying to speak of today. Let me go on before time runs out. I want to check. I'm doing all right. Got a few more minutes. I want to hear the rest of the story. They got me in the helicopter and the pilot thought I was dead. The medic thought I was dead. I was rolled up in wet blankets to suppress the flame. They already had me on stretcher. It caught fire and I, it ripped open. And I fell through on my head. It was one of those days when nothing goes right. <laughs> now I'm rolled up in wet blankets in the helicopter. I haven't told you what it felt like yet because from the time of the explosion until maybe 1,500 feet elevation as we're lifting out in the helicopter, I had no pain. I was in shock but didn't pass out. The water that I jumped into kept me alert, but I didn't feel anything. But when I did, ladies and gentlemen, you could have run over me with a train and it couldn't have felt like that felt like. It started top of my head, went to the bottom of my feet, to my head, to my feet, to my head, and waves of unending nerve endings exploding in pain, screaming out. I yelled out, medic! And he thought I was dead. He thought I came to life. He almost jumped out of the helicopter. <laughs> this is not a joke. The pilot lost control. I honestly believe that. It was spinning. We're dropping. I was weightless. I thought, good Lord, we're going to crash. I'll be the only survivor. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. They got me to Saigon and did some temporary work, whatever they did. I was unconscious for most of it. Put me on a big jet and sent me to Japan to die. They told my wife I was gonna die. I was five days from R&R when I got hit. Five days later, I was supposed to be at the Holikoa Hotel in Honolulu on Waikiki Beach with my little bride. No children, that's a honeymoon. I said, baby, don't pack many clothes. You're not gonna need them. <laughs> and that dream was pushed back. And now I didn't want her to see me. And I asked for a mirror, and it was stupid. And they brought one, and that was stupid. When I looked up, I said, no, no, 10,000 times no. She'll never look at this monster. What's covered was second degree. My clothes burned. What was left was a monster, an eyeball sitting in a black skull that had turned gray. It was horrible. And I did something I'm ashamed of to tell you, but if it's not the whole truth, it's not the truth at all. I tried to kill myself, and that was wrong. But I was under the influence of a drug for the first time in my life. I've never smoked a joint. I smoked a cigarette once. I tried to inhale. I, I think I fainted. I fell over. <laughs> and so people asked me, you ever smoke? I said, yeah, once. Then they got the fire out. I'm doing okay now. <laughs> that's, that's pretty sick. Never, never drank. Never, I, I, I'm a preacher's kid. I didn't get into that stuff. Now they got drugs in me. They're the most powerful drugs known to mankind. And I saw myself in the mirror. And I said, that's it. I had no gun or knife, as I told you earlier. I pulled the tube. But God had a plan for my life. And it was the wrong tube, and I'm glad. But I want to tell you something. I was at the bottom. People say that worst day of your life was in Vietnam. No, no. Worst day of my life was in Japan. You see, in Vietnam, I still had hope that I could survive. Even though I, my brain was telling me it's not going to happen, not going to happen, you're going to die for these people you don't even know. 
But I kept fighting, I kept fighting. The scripture kept going over in my mind. To live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Little by little, the to die is gain went away and all I could remember was to live is Christ. To live is Christ. Philippians 1 and 21, read it sometime. It's a great chapter on suffering. God had a plan. It did not include suicide. And I'm glad I pulled the wrong tube. And they chewed me out for trying to, oh my, it's a wonder they didn't kill me. He put me on a plane, sent me to America, put me at Brook Army Medical Center, San Antonio, Texas. They put me in a room called the ICU, and I didn't know what that meant until they gave me the robe and it doesn't come together. It's the ICU. (laughs) I saw me too, gave me a whole new appreciation for the draft. (laughs) That's funny, isn't it? A woman came to see her husband. He was in the bed next to mine. 13 of us in the room. All of us in that room were expected to die. And none of us were put on the main ward because we would discourage those that could live. So we discouraged each other to death. And I'm the last man standing. All of them died but me. And a woman came in to see her husband threw her wedding ring on his bed. He had no skin left. Guaranteed to die. She said, you're embarrassing. I couldn't walk down the street with you. She walked out. And I looked at the tubes trying to figure this one out. Don't let her come in. Don't let my teenage wife come in this room. And the door opened and there she stood, more beautiful than I remembered. She walked up to the head of the bench. She said, I just want you to know I love you. Welcome home, Davy." And when she said, welcome home, my life would change again. I said, I'm sorry, Brenda. She said, why? I said, I broke my promise that I would come back without a scar. I'm sorry. I can never look good for you. She said, baby, you never were good looking. <laughs> oh, you're cold. Look at you. Y'all, yeah, you like that. I want to have to pray for you. We both laughed and it hurt me more than her to laugh. I'll tell you that. But I want to close by telling you this closing story. When they brought me into America, I came in at Lackland Air Force Base on a big jet, and then they put me on a helicopter and flew me over to Brook Army Medical Center where I'm a patient today. They put me in this room full of, they had a tank full of water and it's called debridement. They lower you in the tank, they splash water on you. They try to soften up the scar, the burn tissue. It was like plates of, of ceramic. You could break off my skin in chunks. I was, I had become charcoal. And they were breaking this off of me and slicing and cutting and I could hear my body being thrown into a trash can. And they're, they're doing everything as fast as they can because you can only take it only a short time, then you go insane. And I did. I went nuts. I reached up with the fingers that worked, and I grabbed the nurse by the hair of her head, and I flipped her into the tank with me and held her head down. I was trying to kill her because my brain said, she's killing you. Fight for your life. And I was so embarrassed when I realized what I'd done. She was safe. They got her out. But now my skin is in her hair. Her white robe, garment there, it's all pink with diluted blood. She went right back to work on me. And when I reached up again, they said, he's had enough. I said, he has had enough. They put me on a gurney. They sent me to my room. On the way down, the medic is pushing me along and the wheels wobbling on that thing like a Walmart shopping cart. Made me mad. When you're hurting, everything makes you mad. You know what I mean? You don't want to hear it. And I was all frustrated and anxiety attacks and pain and uncertainty. And the medic pushed me, says, now in the morning at 8.30, we're going to do this again. He shouldn't have Norton have said that. 
I looked up at him I, in a rage. I said, not you or the entire United States Army is big enough to put me back in that tank again. You'll never hurt me like that again. Well, he's heard all that bravado stuff before. Okay, okay, you're going to die, but okay. I said, well, wait a minute. Let's negotiate this. That's the word I use. Let's negotiate this. He said, what? I said, don't tell me you're going to do it. Make it a surprise. <laughs> surprise me. He said, what's the difference? I said, now I'm going to be awake all night knowing at 830, hell's coming on a blue draped gurney, and I'm not going to sleep all night. And I was right. 830 the next morning, anxiety, fear, pain. I knew it was going to hurt. I heard that wobbly wheel coming. It might as well been the devil on a pale horse. He rolled that gurney up beside my bed, but they forgot to lock the wheels. You know what's coming. Two at the foot end, two at the shoulder end. On three, they grabbed the sheets. One, two, three, and the guys on the foot end dropped me. And I hit right in the middle between the gurney and the bed, and the gurney starts going out. My feet hit the ground. I'm holding on with my little wings, and the gurney's slipping away, and I'm about to hit the, the deck, and I this is going to leave a mark. This is going to hurt. And my life would take another change. A giant arm came up under the back of my head, and I stiffened my neck, and the man picked me up. He was about six foot seven, 350 pounds, solid muscle, perfect human specimen. When he moved, cannonballs popped up on this guy. He was black, he was bald, and his name was Rosie. <laughs> Honest to God, I lie not. Was tattooed on his arm so he could remember. <laughs> With his other hand, he picked me up, pulled me against that giant chest like he was a forklift. Turned, I thought he'd put me on the gurney. No gurney for Rosie. He carried me all the way to the end of that long, long hall into that room we called hell, that debridement room from a place we called death row, the intensive care unit. I traversed it many times. That day he carried me and put me in the water pulled his arms loose, and he crossed his arms and backed up against the wall. And the sunrise that morning in its golden hue shined through the window. And I looked over as they were cutting me apart. They were filleting me. His beautiful ebony skin reflected tears like little streams of fire reflecting that morning sunshine through the window. And they dripped on his arms. His lips were moving. Rosie was praying for me. Who is this man? Who is this? When I saw him praying, I relaxed. The pain didn't matter anymore. They actually thought I died and they quit hurting me. And from then on, I played possum lots of times. <laughs> Die on them, they leave you alone. When I started reaching for nurse's hair, they started saying he's had enough. And they said, Rosie, come. And he went over, reached down that filthy water and picked up my body. They dried his arms off and scrubbed me with that terry cloth trying to get blood to surface for grafting cannot grow if there's not blood to the surface. It was hell on earth. But I was being held by this man. And as he walked back, every step he took, he said, you'll be fine, big man. You'll see, you'll be fine. Over and over, got me to my room, laid me down and looked at me this way. And he said, you'll be fine, big man. You'll see, you'll be fine. He reached up and with a giant paw, he pushed down a little piece of hair back here that had survived. And he looked in my eyes long. I looked into eyes. I thought I saw the universe of Mars and 
space. It was the moon and stars. What am I looking at? Who is this man? This is a true story, folks. He did something I've never let a man do. Bent down and kissed my forehead. Walked away. And my life would never be the same. Go forward 20 years. The great state of Oregon. Fourth of July, 20,000 people at the airport for the Air National Guard celebration. And I'm the speaker. Give me 20,000 people. I'm in heaven. I gave the best I could give, and it was over, and people are celebrating, and they're leaving. And a woman walks up, well-dressed, little salt and pepper hair, 10 years maybe, older than me, beautiful lady. She said, you're Dave, aren't you? I said, yes, ma'am. I was a speaker. They didn't have a big screen. I said, I was a speaker. She said, I know, but your name's not Dave. It's David, right? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, but that's your middle name. Your first name's Milton. I said, yes, ma'am. Who are you? I'm the nurse you pulled into the tank. I said, have I ever apologized? Madam, I'm so sorry. She said, I thought it was you, but I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. (laughs) Don't go to Sunday school with your teacher. That's a nurse. You know what she did? She answered the question of a lifetime. She didn't know. I said, do you remember Rosie? Oh, yes. I said, do you know where he is? No. Do you know where he came from? No. Do you remember his real name? No. All I remember is Rosie. I said, when did he come to Brook Army Medical Center? She said, when you did. And I said, when did he leave? She said, when you left. You figured it out. Now, I hope he's not. I hope it's not an angel. If he's an angel, he was on an assignment. But if he was a man, he was on a mission, and he didn't care what color I was. He didn't care what branch of service I was in. He didn't care if I was rank or not. And I was rank. Let me tell you, when you're burned, you stink. He didn't care about anything but one thing. He cared about me. He picked me up and took me where I could not go. Everybody needs a Rosie. Mine is standing to my right. He's my friend. And he let me come back to my favorite church. I'm Dave Reaver, and I approve of this message. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.